0: Well, good evening and thanks for joining us at the Journey Church for our Good Friday service. And today um, has been a beautiful day and a day that we have, all of us, I know, in the back of our minds in spite of the sunshine, we have thought about the events of this day and the sadness of it and the harshness and the death of, of this day. I was thinking the other day about a TV show that used to be on a few years back called Dirty Jobs. And on that show, the host, Mike Rowe, um, would go and perform difficult, unusual, disgusting, or messy jobs. Uh, But there was one job that I never heard him uh, performing, and that was as an executioner. It's hard for us to believe that there actually are people who have that job, and it is a valid job, but there's a man named Jerry Givens who was the executioner for the state of Virginia for 17 years. And he oversaw the death of 62 inmates. Now you might ask, what would make someone want to be an executioner? But Jerry actually took the job before the state of Virginia was carrying out executions. The job was posted, it was more money than just a guard, and so he took the job, never knowing he would ever have to actually carry out an execution. He kept it to himself. It was a private thing. In fact, he never even told his wife what he did. Jerry is a very gentle man. Uh, and he said that every time they would prepare for one, he would call his team together, and, and they, would, uh, they would pray for the inmate. They would pray for the family. They would pray for the fa- family of the inmate's victims. It was his job, but not a job that any of us would ever want to do. In fact, death is something that we don't even want to think about. And yet on a beautiful day like today, we are thinking about death. And today is what is called Good Friday. I've always thought that was kind of a misnomer of that term a little bit, because it really doesn't describe what happened on that day long ago. However, I'm told that history says that at one point it was called Great Friday, because of the greatness of the event of of Jesus' sacrifice. But over the last few weeks in our study here, we've been talking about the journey to the cross, and we've seen that the cross was the destination that Jesus would reach at the end of this week, what we call the Holy Week of Jesus' life, the last week of His earthly life here. And we've seen that Jesus was betrayed by a friend and disciple, a man named Judas, that He had spent a lot of time with, who He loved. He was arrested in the middle of a night by an angry crowd. He was betrayed by a friend who did not even knowing who He was. He was tried throughout that night by the religious people of that day and Early on Friday morning, he was taken to Pilate, who was the Roman governor, and who would announce the death sentence on our Lord. He sentenced Jesus to die by crucifixion. Crucifixion was not invented by the Romans, but they sure had perfected the process. You know, today in our our world, when someone is executed, great pains are taken to make it the most humane and quick experience of all. But in that day, crucifixion was just exactly the opposite. It was a slow and torturous death, which intentionally kept the victim alive longer than any other method of execution available. Victims were literally nailed to a cross, a painful experience, horrendous, but not necessarily fatal. And many of them would hang on that cross for days in shock and delirium and dehydration, eaten at by birds and even animals. And death would often come slowly from one of the more of the things above, or finally, suffocation. A person might even breathe only when they could lift themselves up with their arms and legs. And to get a deep bath, that would cause excruciating pain pulling against the nails. Sometimes, if the Roman soldiers were merciful or just to get the process over with, they would bring a hammer along and would break the legs of the victim so they couldn't breathe anymore. Hanging on a cross in crucifixion was a disgraceful way to die. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, it says, Cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. And to make it worse, the crowds in that day were horrendous in the way that they would stand and mock and curse the victim as they writhed with pain on the cross. It was a brutal death. And this was the death that Jesus was sentenced to die for you and I. Jesus had been beaten previously in the trial before before Pilate, but now, having been sentenced to crucifixion, He was taken to be scourged, a second whipping that was much more horrendous than the first. The whip was tipped with metal and bone and would tear at the body and expose the muscles and even the organs, and sometimes the person would even die in the scourging itself. And then Jesus was forced to carry the heavy crossbeam of His cross through the city streets, through the crowds, and to the place of crucifixion. It was a walk of shame and pain. It was a walk of humiliation. He was offered wine which was mixed with gall, which was a sedative, a pain-deadening medication, but He refused that because Jesus wanted to be totally aware and conscious as He gave His life. At the place of crucifixion, Jesus was thrown down upon the cross beam, and His arms were stretched out as far as possible and nailed to each end, and the beam was then lifted up and attached or affixed in some way to the upright pole. Then His legs were folded and nails were driven through His feet into the pole. Oftentimes we see pictures of the crosses hung high above the landscape, but most often they were very close to the ground, just a few inches off the ground. So the victim was actually within eyesight of the crowd and they would mock him and spit on the victim. You know, we can't even imagine what that would be like and what would be going through our pain-filled minds. But the Bible is clear in telling us that Jesus did not rebel against this. In fact, He was full of compassion and forgiveness. And some of the words He spoke upon the cross were even asking God to forgive those who were currently crucifying Him to death. Sad injury to insult the four soldiers who had the grisly job of killing Jesus, sat at the foot of the cross, and they divided and then gambled for His only earthly possessions, the torn and bloody clothes He had worn. Above Jesus' head was a sign affixed to the cross, commissioned by Pilate, that declared that Jesus was the King of the Jews. Of course, the Jewish leaders rebelled against this, but this was Pilate's revenge upon those leaders who had forced him to condemn Jesus. And he said, it is, says what it says. I'm not changing it. On either side of Jesus was a criminal. No doubt cohorts of Barabbas, the one who had been set free over Jesus, the one the crowd had chosen to set free. This fulfilled a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53 that says, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. The Jewish leaders, not content just to see him die, wanted to see him be tortured and mocked. And so they worked the crowd, egging him on as they sneered and mocked Jesus. You said you would destroy the temple and build it back, but you're no king because you can't even get yourself off the cross. Unbelievably, the robbers on either side of him began to join in the mockery. Even as they suffered themselves, one of them blasphemed Jesus and said, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other one, suddenly perhaps realizing who Jesus really was, defended him by saying, don't you fear God? We deserve this. But he's an innocent man. And then turning to Jesus, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. But they hung up on the cross, and as the day and hours wore on, the crowd got bored and the crowd began to thin out, but there at the foot of the cross was a group who never left, and that was a group of women, including Jesus, Mother Mary. They were grieving and comforting one another as they helplessly watched their friend and Mary's son be put to death, slowly dying. Seemingly all the disciples except one had run away, the one whom Jesus asked to care for His mother, His apostle John. After Jesus had been on the cross for three hours, between nine and noon, about 12 o'clock, the sky darkened for the next three hours. And Jesus sensed that this was a sign from His heavenly Father, that His Father had turned away and He called out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the abandonment of His Father, experienced the disgrace that came as the wrath of God was fully poured out upon Him. We know that his human side is suffering intensely, but so great is the spiritual separation, so great is the pain from God that his physical pain is not even mentioned. He does not complain about his sufferings. In fact, the only remark that Jesus ever made on the cross about himself, his physical pain, was that he was thirsty and a sympathetic soldier passed up a sponge dipped in wine vinegar and and lifted it to Jesus' lips. The Bible says that when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had done this, he breathed his last. It is finished. The mission had been accomplished. The debt for sin had been paid for by the death of the only Son of God. And I believe that in that that moment as well, there's significance, even in the way that Jesus died. Because Jesus' death did not come as his lifeblood ebbed away. It did not come slowly as he lost consciousness. Instead, he was in control even then, and he gave his life up voluntarily. And when he did that, the entire earth responded violently. The Bible says that the veil of the temple tore from top to bottom, signifying that God was now opening up the way, the pathway between himself and all mankind. God tore it. There was a violent earthquake as all creation groaned in that moment, and rocks split apart and the graves opened up. We're told that later the body of the saints that were in those graves were raised and came out of the grave after Jesus was resurrected. Having seen all of this, the Roman soldiers were, were, were baffled. They had never seen anything like this. In fact, one of them who'd observed the whole experience said, truly, this was the Son of God, a righteous man. You see, he had seen many men die, but he had never seen one die like this. Tradition tells us that this man went on to become a believer in Christ. And even the crowd, perhaps even the ones who had cried for his blood, after they had witnessed these things in silence, they finally realized they may have made a mistake. And the Bible says that they beat their breasts in a sign of remorse and anguish as to what they had seen happen that day. Since it was Friday, Friday evening, the day before the Sabbath, and since it was the Passover week, the holy week for the Jewish people, the Jews had to pretend that they were keeping God's law. You know, this whole thing is such a farce, but they had to keep carrying it on that they were righteous. And so, they went to ask Pilate if he would be so kind as to break the legs of all the victims so that they could die. How sympathetic they were. In reality, they just wanted to get the victims off the crosses before the Sabbath began. They didn't want to be bothered or have this thought that someone was hanging out there when they were worshiping God in their way. No wonder Jesus called them hypocrites and whitewashed tombs. But when the soldier came around to break the legs of the the victims, Jesus was already dead. The soldier noticed that. He reached up, took his spear, and pierced the side of Jesus where blood and water came out. And again, another prophecy was foretold that no bones of the Messiah would be broken as he died. The centurion, who had done this countless times before, pronounced this victim was dead, that the family could now retake him from the cross, and he moved on to the next. And so, given freedom and the ability, Jesus, family, and friends, having permission, they reached up to take him off the cross. The Bible tells us that two men, Nicodemus and Joseph, a believer, helped take him down. And then Joseph offered a tomb that had never been used before for his burial. And they took Jesus gently, put him in the tomb, only partially embalmed, as the Sabbath was upon him. very quickly, and they planned to return Sunday morning to finish the task. You know, this day was so dark in so many ways. The darkness of the sun that had been hidden for three hours— In my mind, I can't imagine that the sun came out bright again after that time. I'm sure it was a dark and gloomy day, cloudy day. But more importantly, the light of the world had been extinguished. He had been stamped out. It was Friday. It was the day that Jesus died. Now, we know that we can say it was Friday, but Sunday's coming. We had that hope, right? But for this moment, for the next few hours, let's think about the soberness of this moment. Let's think about the sacrifice of Jesus. We know this on this side, but they didn't know that. Imagine their thoughts and their fears and their sadness, their grief, their shock at this moment. And while we're doing that, let's think about this whole death of Jesus and what it means for us. And let me give you three words to wrap up our time tonight. Jesus had so many titles that we couldn't even mention them now, but I want you to think about these three things right now, that describe Jesus' moment on the cross. Three words. The first one is sacrifice. Is sacrifice. Jesus was a sacrifice for our sins. You know, we talk about sacrifice today, but the idea is not nearly as visual for us today as it was for the people in Jesus' day. We think about going without something as being a sacrifice, giving something up, but we don't often think about sacrifice in the context of it being given to us for our sins to be taken away. In that day, it was much more visual. They had the picture of animals being put to death. And the blood of the animal was used to cover over symbolically the sins of the people. See, in the Bible, the sacrifice system was based on the idea of propitiation. And that is that one person would die in the place of another. So that one would die and the other would not have to die. And that which died would bear the wrath of God for the sin of that which was allowed to live. And through propitiation, God's wrath was averted from us and placed upon His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was a sacrifice. The second word that I want you to think about is substitute. Substitute. One of the sacrifices in the Old Testament was that of a scapegoat upon which the high priest Would take his hands and lay them on this goat, and then to symbolize the sins of the people, and then they would drive the goat out of the camp into the wilderness as a sign that the sins of the people had been transferred and they were being carried away. And no one could adopt that goat or even touch that goat, it was to be abandoned and deserted. Jesus was our substitute, He was the scapegoat for our sins. Because of our sin, the wrath of God was laid upon Him. It should have been laid upon us, but Christ came as our substitute and He bore our sin to the cross. He took our place. He who had no sin took our sin upon Himself and willingly gave His life so that we could live as a substitute. And the last word is the word Savior. In the word Savior, you know, the Bible says that when Jesus was born, They named him Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. And that's exactly what Jesus did upon this day, so many years before. He was the sacrifice. He was the substitute. And he is available to be our Savior. Now, I changed that a little bit because the word Savior becomes much more personal even than sacrifice and substitute. Because we all know that God gave His Son to die as a sacrifice for all mankind, that He was a substitute for all of us who should have died, but He is Savior only to those who accept Him and accept His sacrifice. And every one of us must decide, will I accept His offer to be my Savior? And I would challenge you on this Good Friday evening, as we prepare our hearts for the celebration of of Sunday of Easter. I would challenge you to ask yourself the question, is He my Savior? Have I made a commitment to follow Jesus, to give Him my life? Am I living out that commitment that maybe I made years ago that somehow has lost its shine, it's lost its importance to you? Can you dust that off and bring that back to life again during this time to acknowledge that Jesus is not just your sacrifice? your substitute, but He's also your Savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come this evening, and Lord, we are so grateful to you. God, we are humbled, truly humbled, because we know the dirtiness of our lives. We know the dirty jobs, the dirty lives that we live in. And God, we cannot imagine that someone would have the task of putting to death the Son of God. And yet, Lord, we know that many times we crucify Christ, over again, by our lack of concern, our lack of obedience, our lack of faith and trust in you, Lord, I pray that we might draw close to him, that he would not only be our sacrifice and our substitute, but that he would truly be our Savior and our Lord. And God, in all these things, we worship you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.